I mean, I did a Christmas edition of the Royal Family, mm. and that's where it came from. Craig, Craig rang me up, said, John, I'm doing this thing about a pub, you know, you remind me of a landlord, you know. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Caroline got on, God rest her soul, and she said, yeah, and he's gonna, I'm going to be your wife, and there's going to be loads of sex, you know. <laughs> Meet John Henshaw. John's is a face you'll recognise from both stage and screen. He's epitomised some classic Manchester characters, including Ken the Landlord in the comedy series starring Craig Cash, Early Doors. I met up with John in City Tower, which overlooks the growing Manchester skyline, and it's a very different skyline to the one he came to love as a child growing up in Ancoats during the 50s and the 60s. When we spoke, John was just filming the second series of Ridley, the investigative police drama, which is directed by Manchester legend Noreen Kershaw. John was one of 12 kids, so I wanted to know, how does he remember his childhood in the heart of what's known as Manchester's Little Italy? What does he think of the regeneration of Ancoats? And what's it like to go from bin man to hugely respected character actor? I'm Lisa Morton, and this is We Built This City. John, welcome to We Built This City. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for joining us. I know you're really busy at the moment. You've been filming something new the last couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, I'm just doing some bits and pieces now. I'm just an old character actor, so uh, we're doing a bit on Ridley too. The, the, um, it's coming up, I don't know when it's coming up, probably around Christmas or something, I think, mm-hmm. you know. So that's been nice, yeah. And that's been around Manchester? Well, it's been around all the match. They're okay. around. Um, I live up there, all of them, and it's uh, it's quite picturesque. I mean, not just fields and cows and stuff like that. Uh, the mills and the and the stone cottages and the actual. We, we played. We uh, worked <laughs> in a street near me, which is a, an incredible. I don't know what it is like a one in three angle or something like that. But it's. Uh, I was informed by one of the neighbours. It's got the longest continuous slate roof in Europe. You know, oh, wow. and there's little things like that. You know, it's a great place. It's really interesting. At one time, they had like 50, I think it was 48, 50 mils cotton and wool. And uh, the size of it, you won't believe it. That's what it was like in Lancashire mm. at the time, you know. Mm. And it's beautiful. Can you see also, do you see the towers of Manchester from from up there? Can you? you, you can, well, where we are, we're sort of pointing towards Rochdale out mm. the back. We can see from there. And we can see quite a, a distance over the top. But the, the back end where you, you'd look to Manchester is like trees and stuff like mm. that, you know, so... Uh, but no, once you get on the the road, of course, you go down, you know, you can see that now and again you get that fantastic um, sunset. Yeah, beautiful. As you're going up the hill, it always drops the temperature in the car a little degree, oh, really? you know, yeah, oh, it does, yeah. <laughs> so it's you were born and bred Mancunian and you were born in Ancoats in 1950? Yeah, 1950. <laughs> the IMD has 51 sets a year. Oh, really? Yeah. Sorry. You... Oh, which no, one you want? No, I don't mind, I love that. But uh, yeah, 1950... Uh, George Lee Street, facing St. Michael's in Ancoats, uh, born and bred. And I lived there until I got married in 19, well, 1973, I was 23, so yeah. yeah. And you're one of the 12, 12 of you? 12 one of 12, yeah, 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 yeah. What was yeah. life like growing up in Ancoats back then? It, it was fantastic, honest to God. When I, I think back about it, it's interesting when you talk to people about it, I reflect on it, it's like quite Dickensian, you know. I mean, I used to go down Shudell. And, you know, you could buy pigeons there, chickens, goats, snakes, anything. <laughs> and that, and there were, like, records and books and stuff like that. There was the fish market, there was the art market, the retail market, the big railway depot on Oldham Road, 
It was fantastic. It was for me as a kid. I was quite feral. I mean, most I wanted twelve. We used to look after each other. We used to go. You know, even today, I can see any of my brother and sister. I've got a brother that lives in Norway. My sister was a nun in Bolivia. She's just come back after being over there for 20 years. But uh, if we just meet up, it's just like finishing the end of a sentence. You know, we're just mm. that close and together. You know what I mean? It was just, it was just lovely. Equally, these times when we want to kill each other, but I mean, that's only, <laughs> it's only natural, isn't it? And you're all but, close now still, so you're in touch with all these brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, you know, two or three of us have dropped off the edge, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, without a doubt, which is he's quite lucky in it. And Anne Coates has been named as one of the, I think it was Time Out, one of the coolest places to live in the UK, if not in Europe. So it's become such a fashionable place, hasn't it? What are your views on how it's changed? It's incredible, it's changed, you know, and, and, it's, uh, and it's great, but it's different, it's completely different. I mean, Anne Coates was part of the Industrial Revolution, Engels mentions Manchester, not in a good way, you know what I mean, mm. but... That's how far it goes back. And I know people that have met even recently told me that, you know, my mum used to say to me, don't you go near Ancoats, because it was a bit of a rough and ready area when uh, when I was growing up. To see it now, but I mean, it was great. It was all uh, big families. It was either Irish or Italian. And, but it, it was great. And to see it, what they've done to it now is great. I love the way they, they're using the old mills instead mm. of knocking them down. Uh, and the food, it is. And it's, it's been a... <laughs> I mean, for want of a better explanation, I'd say like the cutting square and all the rest of it, that's a fantastic place. You might be, if I was a bit of an inverted snob, I would say it's been kidnapped by the yuppies, to use an old term. <laughs> but no, but it's fine, I love it. I like now and again to walk down, I still come down for the wick walks, you know. Um, um, and so we'll have a walk around there now and again. You know, I can't afford to eat there, but, um, <laughs> you know, I find Tony Chippy or something like that will do me. But, uh, but no, it's great, it's interesting, and it's great, but I think we need to put a few posts up there to tell them where they are, you know. I mean, I only found out a couple of years ago that Manchester had a fantastic glass industry. You used to sell uh, incredible, delicate, intricate pieces of glass to the rest of the world. I didn't know that, so where were the... Was there a glassworks kind of factories then in Yeah, yeah, if, if, I find that, if I find that thing, what... Um, Linda, who was part of the the, the Uncoach recovery, sent it to me. I'll, I'll send it to you and have a look at it. Um, but I know around the centre, just on the edge there, I know up just off Oldham Road, uh, Grinelli's used to be there. I don't even remember yes, that. You, yeah. You're probably too young. Uh, at the back of there, you know, and I, we used to go past it, walk past it regular, and I never even noticed that. I know a friend of my dad's, Tony Bajoni, used to make these incredible lamps, and uh, he used to give me one now and again and what have you. And that's the only thing I knew about it, you know what I mean? But... Uh, yeah, it was incredible. The Italians brought some fantastic arts over, you know, with the Serrazzo and stuff like that. And, um, it wasn't just all ice cream and pasta, you know. It was a lot of ice cream, though, wasn't it? So Grinelli's you just mentioned. I mean, I found out recently that didn't the Italian families in Ancos invent the twist? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know exactly who invented it, but my friends who I grew up with, like, was the, the Moroccos. My grandmother's name was Angelina Crowley, so I could technically play for Italy. Uh, not now, obviously. <laughs> I, I might be subject to a late fitness test now. <laughs> but uh, but she was... Um, did John, John Marocchio and Michael were twins. One supported United and one supported City. John's dad, Tony, he made twists. He had a place, an old big old pub in Jersey Street, and he had battle organs in it, which we used to go and play with and what have you. And he actually made twists in the back room there, and it was like a big, you know, them plates what they pulled down to make... Uh, pizzas and flatbreads and all that and we've been to, to like uh, 
a place called Ricard's and you buy this tins of treacle and stuff like that, gold of honey and all that, and put it in. Mix it all up. We'd mix it as kids, you know, for about two minutes. Then you just put a dollop on the plate, put it down like that, and then you had a wooden peg and rolled it round, and we actually made it there. And we used to go in waiting for the broken ones. He used to give us the broken ones, you know. And uh, it was fantastic play. He, he had, you know, ice cream and the, his great, fantastic family, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, and that's a twist was around there. It's a great play. I worked with the Bodgiano, Bergens, who was originally the Bodgianos, and one or two of the ice creams, the Scapatiches, I'd work on. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it was a major part of Ancoats, Little Italy, as they mm. call it, yeah. And then they had the, the walks, the Italian walks, didn't they? The procession every year. Was yeah. it 1888, I think it was like, was it the um, Catholic um, Italian Society? Oh, or? It, it just went right back, you know. I mean, I was born in 1950, and they used to do, um, well, they used to line up in George Lee Street in mm. front of our house. And for months before, just around the corner, there was a bedding place, and they used to let them go in there with the Madonna, and they used to send away for, for the, the, the lilies that they used to put on. You couldn't get them, they had to send away for them. And they used to, you know, they spend the week setting it all up with the Madonna and everything else. I walked with the band, because he used to walk with St. Michael's. And so I started at the beginning with the altar boys and then went on the front banner and then, you know, went right back about the Italians and, you know, everything all the way through that, uh, all my life, all the family has, you know. But it was a fantastic spectacle. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the early days, 50s and 60s, you could, it was like 12 deep around Piccadilly. The yeah. bishop be sat in the middle, you know, we'd all go past and... I remember as a kid, we used to go and watch the, the yeah. walks. And then you mentioned St. Michael's Church there. So obviously that's right at the heart, isn't it, of, yeah. of the Ancoats community. And you're an altar boy there, did you I was, say? Yeah, yeah. Well, we lived at number 41, which was right of facing. And I was an altar boy, as, as all my brothers were at one time or another. But it, it meant that sometimes I could serve two masses a day, you know, in the morning, hour seven, eight o'clock it was, and then four on a Sunday in benediction. That was quite regular. And if, if anybody, you know, they were short, they'd go on the door and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd be over there and do it, you know. And uh, my dad would give me some money. I'd go to uh, Jack's on Oldham Road where you could get a, a sarsaparilla or a hot bimp toe. That was my reward, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I did it. I was, I was quite into it. I, I, for one time, I wanted to, well, for a while, I was going to be a priest, you know, I thought. But I sort of worked it out afterwards. It was just that... Because going into the priest's house and it was so quiet and, you know, I mean, beautiful wood and everything and all that. But I think being one of 12, I think it was just the quietness. I just wanted a bit of peace and quiet. Because <laughs> you had so many in your house at home yeah, at the well, time. That, that, oh, God, it's cases, you know, it was, it was absolutely like the Marx Brothers in our house. Everybody's all over the place, you know, which was fantastic. So there was, tw there was 14 of you in your house on George Lee Street? Yeah, yeah, 12, 14 of us, a, a dog and a budgie. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I'm not kidding, unless you got several fellow cats coming for the, the breakfast every day. But yeah, it was great. And you just, it doesn't matter, does it? You yeah. know, you live your life. Yeah. 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 And like, what would a typical day be? And just, we always like reminisce about what life was like when we were in kids. I grew up in Salford. What was yeah. it like for you back in the day on a typical day that you weren't in church? Well, I would get up in the morning and we'd go and play football somewhere in the dwellings, Victoria Square, the dwellings, maybe there or, or Croft near Ricard's. We'd go to school, and then in the break we'd play football, and then we'd have, uh, then at dinner time, I might nip over and get a sauce butter, the jam butter, something like that, and then we'd play football, and then we'd go back, and then in the afternoon we'd play football, and then we'd come out after that, and we'd play football till it went dark. <laughs> that's what we did, and that's what I did for everybody, and uh, some cracking footballers around there, I'll tell you, you know. And the morning knew, like, I had talking shoes, as it's, uh, at least I got I never had a decent pair of shoes. But, uh, but that was it. That's <laughs> talking all we did. shoes, because they were... Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's, that's, all, that's all we did, yeah. 
And when you were younger, did you, what were your ambitions? Did you ever think you wanted to be an actor then? What was lying ahead for you? No, not at all, not at all. Um, I left school, I meant to be an apprentice motor mechanic. Um, I wasn't really good at it. So they put me on every good so I could do less damage. <laughs> and, uh, and then I've come from that. And then, I mean, if I went through it then, I had that many jobs. I, I, I generally say to people, uh, I've had more jobs than Charlie Drake, but everybody's too <laughs> No too one knows who Charlie you Drake I mean? is, I do. Because <laughs> there was a programme called The Worker with Charlie Drake and, yeah. and Mr Pugh. And, um, <laughs> and they had a job every week and I was a bit like that. You could do that, it's an old cliche, but you could do that in them days. But, you know, I worked on pipe fitting, on sprinklers. I was a tyre inspector. I was a milkman. I delivered stuff, you know, I'd done everything. I mean, it was about 39.40 before I got into acting, uh, which is just, and it always is and always will be, just never a blagging job for me. I've been on building sites and got sacked in the morning because, you know, <laughs> painting doors and windows. And I, I'd be there painting the window and every, that, everybody around me has painted the full house and I'd be wiping <laughs> the paint off the glass and he'd say, you've not done this before, have you, son? And I'd say, no, it's an all pay you all dinner time. A few of them, you know. I've heard you say before that you could, like, walk out of one job and walk into another then on the same day. Honestly, God, I bet the youngsters nowadays are sick of hearing it, but it's absolutely true. You could you could be doing a job, you could call them somewhere and say, have you got any vacancies? They say, yeah. And you can start somewhere and say, yeah. You go back and say, I'm finishing, and then go and do it the next day, you know. Um, yeah, and loads of work. They were begging for workers, yeah. I mean, now I'm talking, like, the 60s, the mid-60s, you know what I mean? So... Yeah, it was a great time for work, you were like. And then and you were on the bins for 10 years in Manchester. Yeah, I was, yeah, yeah, I loved that, I loved that. I started at Russell Road in Blakely uh, as a street cleaner, we used to sweep the streets. And uh, it was great, great set of lads, uh, great camaraderie, I really enjoyed it. And then I come down to Manchester to Water Street, and uh, that was it then. They, got, they put me through my heavy goods. So then I was like driving skip wagons and the paper wagon. Uh, and they've been wagging through town, which is fantastic, you know. You're, you're driving this great big wagon through town and uh, <laughs> these irritable people going up there, you know, you could go up like Market Street and all them places now, you know. I'm trying to squeeze, I say, you can please yourself, mate, it's not mine, this, you know. I'm driving a big tank, you know what I mean? So, Did you feel powerful oh, driving I, I was up there, you know what I mean? Yeah, I was, you know. And uh, it was great again, a great set of lads and uh, get up in the morning, you, you can usually finish at dinner time in them days. And yeah, and I, I love being in the town. Oh, to be in the town at half six, seven in the morning is great. It's a great feeling. I mean, always, I think the best time is always early mornings mm. when you can get out, you know what I mean? Sometimes you, when you've got a lot of it to yourself, it's, it's great, you know. What would you see? What would you find early hours of Manchester morning? Well, it's just the quietness of it. <laughs> yeah. I, I liked it's, it's what you didn't see, really. It, it was there, but, you know, you just see everybody was making deliveries and stuff like that, and you see some of the... I mean, we used to call them tramps at one day, vagrants, but, you know, you characters, you know what I mean? They didn't seem to be... I know there's a story behind everybody and why they like that, you know, which is quite sad. But, you know, you know local characters, and you'd have a chat with them, and you knew you were there, you knew you were on, and, and it was great. The idea to be an actor was like a light bulb moment, or how did you get into that? Well, I, I was still on the bins at the time, but I was having a bit of trouble with my back and uh, not trying to get it off the bed, as you say, but I pulled a couple of twinges and that, and um, I was doing a bit of fringe theatre. I'd always done a little bit of Amdram. I used to do St Dunstan's Amateur Dramatics in, uh, in Moston, and I enjoyed that. It was good. I've had a few folk groups in my time, you know, we used to mm. do go around um, and have a bit of fun with that. So it was always a bit of an urge to perform in that way. So... I started doing a bit of fringe theatre with a real life theatre company um, with Treader Sullivan and, and then people started out. 
and that was great. You know, we did stuff by Paul Abbott and Jim Allen, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that was great. It was no, you know, no money. And it was like a, you know, a warm lager and a wet handshake, as you say. You know what I mean? But it was experience. You get out there and, and uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. I mean, as you say, theatre is the real deal. But it's just, unless you're getting on the West End, there's no money in it, you know. Mm. And uh, for me, it's, it's another job, as I say before. And I'm blagging it. I always waited for the tap on the shoulder, as you say. But, uh, but no, and then I started doing a bit of extra, uh, extra work, which is... Uh, great if you can you've, you've got to have the time you've got to do it. i've worked with guys uh or i've met guys that have been through rada but then when they've got married um and got a mortgage and all that and the work's not coming in enough they've had to chuck it you know mm. and good actors and all you know but you, you've got to be lucky i mean this is the old thing about it doesn't mean because your mum and dad's rich it's going to be any easier it is because you've got to get through the hard times you know and the rough times when it's quiet and down and and People get quite fed up and depressed about it, you know, because they want to get out and do that, and they can't. But uh, to me, I just did, like, extra work, and you put yourself about and done a bit of fringe theatre, you know. Uh, if they don't know you're there, you know, you're not going to get a job, so you've got to get out and do it. There's so much good talent in Manchester, right? Absolutely. Honestly, God, everybody I know. I've seen some people, and he's trying to get it through now, trying to get work. I know no names, no patron, but a fantastic writer with a real proven track record said it's just like walking through treacle now trying to get something done you know really i mean because manchester is such a kind of rich breeding ground isn't it for like so much talent and yet you're saying that it's still really difficult to break in and get that platform as a as an actor oh yeah 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 i mean acting or writing or you know it's still like the rest of the things in this united kingdom if you like is, is london centric it's crazy, you know what I mean? Everything's sort of coming through London and, mm. you know, we've had this with the HS2 and stuff like that. The contempt mm. they have for the North, it drives you mad, you know. When the stuff they spent billions and billions on this underground thing, you know, going under the river in London and all that, they got the HS2 and they said, we're not coming to Manchester, but we're going to take it to Euston. You think, we should be on the street, you know. If this is in France now, they'll be setting fire to tyres yeah. and, you know getting on the street and protesting properly and that, you know, we're, we're so apathetic, it, it, it's, uh, it's pathetic, you know. Mm. And Hope Mill, though, I mean, that's been... So 53 to 2 is a, is a great facility, isn't it? And it's amazing what the guys are doing there. And also Hope Mill's been a big success, hasn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah, I must admit, I went to Hope Mill when it first opened and I've not been down since. Um, so, yeah, I, I see stuff that's there and I know people that work there and that, that's great. That's one of the few successes, you sure. know, but I think... That's a, that's um, that is people that have financed themselves at the beginning to, mm. to get it going, you know. And they've they've come from outside and done it, you know. And fair play to them, you know. I must get down this year, but uh, you know. It's it's created a really great community. I've my daughter actually used to do kind of stage coach and stuff there as well. Right, yeah, some yeah. There, and I thought it, it was a really good setup. But I mean, what do you think it is about this place in general that creates so many talented writers, you know, artists, musicians, poets? What's what do you think it is that must inspire them? Well, at one time it, it was like it was great when the the you know the Albert Finneys and all them guys came through, and you could feel the energy and the vibrancy. And it came from a working class life, I think. You know, it's that the vibrancy when you've lived the life. Um, I think you can go to Rada and be a great actor, but it's just one or two that come through. But you know, you get a working class bloke. You know, you get like Chris Eccleston and what have you. You can feel the fire inside of him. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, he's just he's from there. And he can go. I mean, Chris has been doing his Shakespeare and worked all over the place and all that. But you can see it in him. You know, he's uh, 
it's like an example of like the, the working class people. If you go and worked in the factory, I mean, nowadays in, in this age of political correctness, when you worked on the factory floor, honestly, God, you, you, you know, you had to take it and you had to give it back and you'd like to learn to do it pretty quick. And it, and it was harmless. People can read it the wrong way. Um, but at the time, you know, them guys had also teach you your job and also look after you and you became part of the family and what have you. And it was banter and some of it was wrong right enough at the times, you know. I've been part of the initiation centres which uh, could have got a few people locked up for six months, you know. <laughs> But, you know, at the time, he just accepted it. And that, that's the way it was, you know. Oh, yeah, at one time, you started in the garage and anywhere else. Everybody had, uh, you know, some of the older listeners will know, you know, the initiation. Set, uh, Can you go into any detail? Well, you know, you go in the garage, you used to get this thing called Loctite. Uh, Loctite? Loctite yeah. is a glue. What they used to yeah. stick um, gaskets on with stuff like that. Uh, that all the grease or whatever. And like about half a dozen run you around and you finish up in the pit and they put it all over your private parts, like, you know. <laughs> You know, this, you know what I mean? That, that was it. There's no time. HR departments then, though. <laughs> every time, you know, you, you get sort of uh, dye in your head and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, even in the mills and all that, you know, the, the women would get over here. Apparently, I didn't, you know, I didn't work in the mills. But it was a, a bit of a, a tradition, you know what I mean? It was, uh, it was quite scary for the few weeks, you know, when you first <laughs> you started, you know. Yeah, I remember when um, my dad had a factory on Trinity Way, actually, man, um, an engineering business. And they used to send the young lads that used to come. It was always striped paint. Yeah, yeah. And they always fell for it. Go yeah. get a, a tin of yeah. striped paint. Yeah. I didn't see anything quite as bad as the Loxite scenario, though, I have yeah, to say. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your first break? Was it you'd Robert Lindsay? Is that the first kind of... But, yeah, it was and it wasn't. I mean, I went in that. That was like mine, though, Alan Bleasdale's mm. thing. And it was... Um, I did extra work. But it was like... Over six months, it was like a month a day. So it was like a month's work for me, oh, which okay. was a big deal. Yeah. And I had a couple of lines in it. In fact, I think I had one line, and it was Robert Lindsay said to me something like, his character said something like, what's up with you? And I'm like that, and I go out, and I said, it must have been the mushy peas. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. But I was at, there was a minder with the other guys. There's three of us, like minders. Uh, and that, that was me, a uh, big break, that, you know. Which, uh, yeah, but I mean, then I've, I've done a little bit in the in the soaps, you know, I've been in, in Emmerdale, I was a dingle in Emmerdale for the while, and Cora, just bits and pieces, you know what I mean? Uh, and then just doing a little extra work here and there, and generally doing the fringe theatre on one side, and the, my, the biggest thing, that, or the biggest break for me was a thing called The Cops years ago, mm. um, a Tony Garnet thing, a lovely man no longer with us, you know, and that was set down in the north about 20 odd years ago now. And it was, it was sort of a semi-documentary. A lot of people thought it was a documentary right for like two or three seasons. You know, we did three seasons of it. Uh, and it was like rough and ready police and uh, used to interview the suspects in the van on the way there. And that was good, filmed around Awood and Bolton and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And that was a springboard for me. But before that, I was just uh, not even jobbing really, just bitting, I suppose, a bit here, a bit there, you know. And then, obviously, Early Doors was, like, a massive, massive success, wasn't it? And I actually watched a couple of series, again, just recently. And the opening scene, the first one, where you're um, singing as Ken, <laughs> the greatest love of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, you, can, whatever, you, you can't take away my dignity with your hand down the toilet, yeah, yeah, unblocking yeah, the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just from the get-go in that, the first scene, you just knew that there was going to be it was so raw and true and everyone's sharing like life stories and the challenges in in that pub called The Grape. So 
were you aware at the time that how amazing that was going to be? Did you get the sense of the magic that, that it had? Well, you know, it was a bit of a slow burner at the beginning because they put it on BBC Two mm. and they put it, I, don't, I, don't, I think it was 10 o'clock at first or 9 o'clock. And they, they didn't push it, you know, they didn't push it. It came off the back of the royal family. And, I mean, I did a Christmas edition of the royal family mm. and that's where it came from, Craig. Craig rang me up and said, John, I'm doing this thing about a pub, you know, you remind me of a landlord, you know. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Caroline got on, God rest her soul, and she said, yeah, and he's gonna, I'm going to be your wife and there's going to be loads of sex, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get that in the contract, but, but God love her, she was, you know, she's great fun. And, um, but no, at first, I know recently, Craig was saying that recently, we did a tour recently, mm. we did a theatre tour, 60 60 shows, standing ovation every night, fantastic. Little stadiums, early doors in, in stadiums, you yeah. know what I mean? Six and seven thousand. We went to the Apollo in London, which is 3,200, you know, and, and Craig said, we're going to need subtitles here for this. But again, it took the roof off. It was great, you know. Amazing. Um, so it travelled, because that's one of the things you thought. But I know, because I, I've been in London, I've been in Scotland, and people have said to me, I know where that pub is. And what they mean is they know the characters, of course, yeah. which is brilliant, right by Craig and Phil. So it's going to be a cult, and it's going to be bigger now. And, and uh, you know, there's all sorts of platforms saying bring it back and this, that, and the other. But maybe the moment's gone. I don't know. Oh, I don't think so. I think it's no. room for more of that. I mean, and the theatre tour was yeah. like, was it ten years after? Yeah, twenty you, years. Twenty, 20 years. Twenty yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. It's nearly twenty years. Oh, so of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah wow. it was. Yeah, and uh, we started out. They started off the bit the lower there. For the for the few weeks, and it, it broke the record at the Lowry yeah. for the people. People stood up in the back. I don't know if that's allowed, but um, and for about three weeks they booked it, and then we we went into the the small theatre. The, is it there's a lyric? Yeah, the lyric and the keys, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah and yeah. They did the key, which is fa- that was for anybody that's seen it in the keys, which is fantastic because that's like a five hundred seater, and it's just wrapped round like that. It's like musical, and they they all said that. Felt like they was in the pub, you know. Yeah. And we felt like it was in the pub, you know. It was great, but you know, obviously you've got to sell it. And we went in the, then we went back in the big and and did it for the few weeks, and then we, we took it on tour, you know. And it's great. People was coming from all from abroad. I mean, I'm sure they came on their holidays or made an holiday of it or something like that. But Uganda, Australia, what have you? They're coming from like Cornwall and, and Aberdeen and stuff like that to see, you know. But you know, even though we did go to Glasgow, you know. And how different was it doing the, the stage show to having done the um, the TV show? Yeah, well, it's funny that because, you know, you think it's, it's going to work, you know, uh, and it did from the off. And even when we went in the stadiums, you thought, is it going to work? Because, like, you know, Liverpool and Manchester Arenas and that. And, but because they've got the, the, the big screens at the side, you get more of the little nuances that you wouldn't get just yeah. watching it on the stage, yeah. you know what I mean? So... Um, and some pe- people came to see it five and six times and what have you. But uh, no, right from the off, we got a big cheer as soon as we started. They knew some of the punchlines and catchphrases. And uh, yeah, it was it was a lovely feeling. There was a lot of love for it. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good, the writing, so, you know. Yes. Yeah, you can relate to it. Completely. And it, like you say, it had so much throwback in a way to the, the heart and the soul of like the royal family as well. It was... Yeah. So we're in City Tower recording this podcast and just before you arrived, there was a, a young guy um, outside who was is an electrician and I told him what we were doing and yeah, that you yeah. were coming in and he literally, well, he, I mean, he's probably 23 and he knew, he's watched every single Royal Family, said I could tell you every scene and he knew exactly 
who you played in that episode, the yeah, Christmas yeah. episode and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. I think so much love for both of those. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, people quote the lines and yeah. And Carolina Hearn, if you could have had anybody as well on the podcast, that you know, oh. somebody she was just amazing, wasn't yeah, she? What she was she like to work with? I, I only worked with Caroline on, on the Royal Family mm. and they was great. They was filming that. Um and they just say, take a break, and then we sit down and have a cup of tea, and then Craig would go out and then come back and just tweak it a little bit, mm-hmm. and just giggling and laughing all the way the pair of them through it, you know. Uh, I mean, I went into I remember when I went into it, I thought, oh, God, because it was about, like, been going for the five series then, you know, and I could just see the, the review, like, it's all right till this fat bloke turns <laughs> up, you know. But, then, but it worked, it worked okay, you know what I mean? Um, you know, people have been nice about it. Uh, but you go on and you say, but they're great. I mean, Ricky, I know Ricky. I worked with Ricky on, on stuff before. He's a great fella. Uh, and, and, and so it was just so yeah. nice, everybody on it, you know what I mean? And uh, it, it was, you just got home, and it was like you just sat on the couch, you know, with the coffee while they're doing it. And, that. <laughs> and uh, I remember I was doing an interview with um, Eamon O'Neill when he was doing the TV show. He met my name, and uh, he's now, anyway. And I went in, and it said, oh, I said it was money for all wrong. And he said, you can't say that. But... You know, it was wrong. What, what I meant was, it was, it was. They made it so easy for me to do it. I didn't mean it was all wrong. It was crap, you know. But, uh, it's but it easy was, for uh, they made it easy for you just to kind of slot in. Yeah, it did. You know what I mean? And, and they and they give you so generous with the lines what they give you. You know what I mean? Because you can mm-hmm. go in so many times and with other stuff, and the ego is you're just barely there. There's a you know a, a sort of hiccup in between what the the main artists are doing, the, the main egos. But absolutely no ego whatsoever there. Amazing. You've played loads of roles. you kind of got the reputation bit of playing the hard man, haven't you, quite often. How do you think that's come about? Do you enjoy being in that role? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I mean, it helps when you've got a face that only a mother could love, you know. <laughs> For the start, you know what I mean? You, you go and you think, what's he looking at? Um, it, it reminds me of a, an Irish accent I'm not going to try and do the accent, but he says, I go in and say, good morning, and everybody dies under the table, you know, and it's like, I think my face is a bit like that, you know. But no, it's it's good to do both if you can, you know, if you can do a bit of comedy, a bit of pathos, a bit of uh, hard man and all that, it's great. I mean, I've been really lucky with the cops and nearly those and a couple of, like, Ken Loaches and stuff like that. Uh, to do that with writers like, you know, Paul Laverty is incredible. I've been lucky on that, so it's not... I've not really chosen many things, you know what I mean? I've gone off with stuff or I've been off with stuff and not look at the the only choice really I've ever had is like whether you want to do it or not. Mm. Make your mind up. So uh but yeah. <laughs> and is there anybody at the moment that's like on the Manchester circuit that you're excited by in terms of, you know, young actors who are coming through? Is anyone Not really, out? I hate them all really. Do you? <laughs> um not Sophie Willen. Sophie Willen. Sophie Willem, yeah. She's brilliant, yeah. I love Alma's Not Normal. I met her at Sophie at um, a cricketer's lunch at Old Trafford. A mate of mine, Peter Young, and went with Sweeney. Sweeney was with us. And, uh, and, uh, and that was, she was at that. She came with a lady who sells, she's famous in Bolton, selling the pasties and stuff like that. And we used to go there from Bolton, Nottingham. And God forgive me, I can't remember at the moment. So. Yeah, and she was lovely, Sophie. And then I seen her at the exchange one time, mm. you know. But she's a brilliant talent. I mean, the she right, is. I really love that anarchic stuff, you mm. know. Um, and she can, you can tell her. I, I seen her one time. I said, "I'm from that place that you're writing about in my past," you know. So, uh, yeah, well done. Yeah, no, I've met her a couple of times, and uh, she's always just, just got so much about her, so yeah. lovely and warm. What would you say you are most proud of in your career today? 
Or in your life, maybe. In my life? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I've got uh, my wife, Margaret, who my better three quarters, as I say, and uh, and two lovely kids I'm really proud of. But work-wise, um, when I was on the bins, my favourite type of cinema was like Ken Loach, you know, mm. I mean, Kez and you know, all that stuff mm. going back. And uh, so to actually work with him twice is, is fantastic. I did a thing called Looking for Edit, which was great fun. And I did uh, The Angel's Share, which has just been voted apparently the, the best film in Scotland, the, summer, the most popular. And that was great. But having said that, what I liked about Ken was the, you know, the way he dealt with social issues, a bit more kitchen sink. And as he said when, when he did Looking for Edit, he's got a little bit of fantasy in this, which he'd never done before. And it was great, you know, Stevie Betts was in it, and, and he was great, and Eric Cantona, and a lot of Manchester comedians, you know, Smug Roberts and Justin Morehouse and Mick Ferry. You know, it was great to work with them guys, and they, they were real, you know what I mean? They, they had what Ken was looking for. But I would have liked to have done something a bit darker with him, a bit more, you know, um, a bit more kitchen sink, if you like, you know what I mean? But to work with and, and find out that... You know, they say don't meet your heroes. Well, don't worry about Ken Lawrence because he's, he's the real deal. He's, he's a proper guy. We're filming in Glasgow. You know, you don't you don't have caravans and all that sat there waiting. And then you sit in the local soup kitchen who he's given money to, to hire, you know, so they get the money. And you're sitting there. And if you don't like that, you sit on the pavement. And it's great. You know, it's the way it should be, you know. And he's the type of guy who'll ring you up in the hotel at 11 o'clock and say, have you got everything you want? So to work with him is great, but I mean, and then going to his mate Tony Garnett to work on the cops was fantastic for me. He got me to to get the work that I've got since then, you know. But it, that again was great writing. A mate of mine, Anita Pandolfo, a Manchester girl, she was one of the, the creators, you know. That was uh, really sort of innovative, you know. They have a, a, a young girl, I remember Jane Rousseau, who was a bit of a fell runner. She used to have a, a camera on her shoulders and she used to follow us about with his camera up and down flats, you know. and uh, and then the first series, I always remember when we filmed it, um, we'd be acting our hearts out, and it wasn't until we realised that the camera wasn't always on you. They treated the camera like another PC in the room. So, you know, you'd be acting away and it'd be like that. And you think, of course, you know, it's, it's common sense. Once they've seen you, they've heard your voice, you know what's going on, so let's have a look round, you know, like you would do. <laughs> mm. And it's like, I believe, when they got... When they first did it, they had like two or three drafts like that. I said, yeah, bump, start again. Start again, Tony Garnett. And then when they actually did it, they actually started at the second episode, which meant you had to work out what had gone on before. And that's giving credit to the audience, you know what I mean? So it was a fascinating process and uh, so lucky to work on it, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's um, saying that, you know, he hired out soup kitchens and he's kind yeah. of putting back in the community says a lot about his values, doesn't yeah. it, really? Yeah, oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he hires people, you know, he, he hires people. He likes, he likes comedians because he knows comedians can go from comedy to tragedy in a heartbeat and they can think on their feet. He allows you to improvise, Ken. Paul Laverty is a fantastic writer. I mean, the guy before him, Jim Allen, and all a local hero was uh, fantastic again. But they do, you know, a really good skeleton and it's got plenty of meat on it, you know what I mean? And you're just allowed to put a bit, a layer of skin on the top of it if you like. But it can go either way on what have you. And he'll just lean over his shoulder at a certain time now and again and he'll say, just say how you'd say it. Uh, so to work with them people as a kid from Ancoach, you think, wow, it's like watching, uh, you know, you watch University Challenge and you realise that there's people out there that's patronising you, don't you know? <laughs> And, that, and that's what it feels like with these guys. But you, not from the way they talk yeah. to you, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. You think sometimes. So just then talking about um, Ken Loach's values, what values are important to you as a proud Mancunian? It sounds so easy to say. It's just be nice to people. You know what I mean? It's just everybody's got something going on. Life is it's uphill all the time. As you get to my age, it's like a one in three, it's getting out of it. If people, you just think, you don't know what battles that people are fighting, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Be too quick to jump at people and say, what? It, it sounds corny, you know what I mean? But just be honest, be nice to people. You can just spoil somebody's day with one word, you know what I mean? And, and they can take it, take it home with them. It's, it's not, just be nice. Mm. And um, just what do you want your legacy to be? What would you like to have kind of put in and, and created? in this, the city? I've got to say that I, I don't have much of an ego, you know. Um, I'm just the opposite of anything my wife tells me. Oh, I'm not worthy, you know, all that. Lot. But I don't, you know, I don't I don't like that. But I just think that, uh, um, you know, I always say to people, a lot of my friends, and, you know, you get to my age, it's like people are dropping off all over the place, you know. And the best thing you can say about a person, I think, is when you think of them, you smile, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Yeah, that's lovely. I've got a few of them. So I'm going to do a quick fire now, quick fire Manchester round. So best place for an early doors pint in Manchester? Well, it's gone now, but it used to be the Jolly Angler on Juicy Street. It's only recently closed. I went in there for many years with my mates. We used to play a bit of folk music. We had it to ourselves on a Sunday night. And uh, Michael, my mate... uh, Michael Rennan's got rest his soul. Uh, and now this lad used to look after me in the early days. And his wife, Sheila, was born and bred in the same street as me, George Lee Street, so I had a connection there. But uh, Michael said, oh, give us an old song, Joe. And then he pushed me a pipe on. And when I first started on the acting, and I was skinny, he looked after me. And I go in there, and, you, you know, you get people from all across uh, the, the music spectrum who go in there at certain times. But he kept a lovely pint of uh, Hyde's Bitter which was the ruination of my <laughs> <laughs> my early life. But it's good. It's a good sing-song of the pine. You can't be, oh, yeah, it's jolly angle. It's a good you know. music pub. Oh, great yeah. music pub. Mm. But, you know, just lovely people in it. Me, me uncle and my auntie had a place called the Ammo. It was called the Smith's Arms. But they had a picture outside of a guy with an Ammo, obviously. And they had a fantastic um, uh, local pub team, football team and all that. And that was a great pint. And all the people from the Daily Express used to go in, they set oh. the prints up. And then they go in there for about three hours, <laughs> Don and Crib and getting drunk, and the people from the railway and the post office at Newton Street, and be mobbed, you know. And then somebody would fall out, and they'd all disappear, and then come back a couple of weeks later. But uh, great old. Post. So where was that opposite the Express Building? No, no, it, it was further down. If you went past St Michael's, and then you turn right, it was just there. Uh, I think it's Sherrod Street. I think it was. But just there, you know, the, the big St Paul's Church there, yeah. where the other just there it was. But it was there. And the other one was the, the Atom Feathers in the market. Where that, you know, you go in sm- coming down and people... Smithfield? You know, yeah, yeah, right, in, in, the, in Smithfield Street. Mm. Yeah, but, uh, oh, wow. That was great. I used to play football for them at one time. Yeah. And that was like a real market pub and a real duck and dive pub, you know. Oh, that sounds great. And, okay, so what do you order at the chipping? You mentioned mushy peas before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it depends. You know, I like a Chinese and I like an Indian, what have you, but... And I, I like the old fish and chips, but um, I'm a pig, really. But, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> pudding, chips, peas and gravy, I have. But nowadays, I find it too much and too heavy. And that, you know, um, uh, one time, I was talking to somebody the other day, you know, when we used to work 
uh, on the tools and stuff like that and the roofing and the pipe fitting that you go you get a, like a full English if you could get it if not you'd have a bacon egg sandwich and what have you and then you'd have pudding chips peas and gravy for your, your thing and then you go home and when I first got married I used to have 10 rounds of bread with my tea wow I know I know <laughs> Mate, I might only have chips and gravy depending on the finances you know but uh, but then, but nowadays you know obviously your body says no that's enough now exactly <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. we used you to have uh, pudding and chips or fish and chips on a Friday night that was our treat oh, yeah, as a family yeah, always yeah, a Friday yeah, chippy yeah. tea yeah. and what do you miss most about Manchester when you're not here Ancoats, you know, for me, it was it was so full of characters. You, you went out and it didn't matter, you know, where you was in your life at the time or in your mind or whatever. You had a laugh, you know, and people did. And a lot of people was in the same boat, whatever. And they're just characters, you know. You took the mickey or somebody took the mickey out of you for a while. But it was such rich, the, the people from all walks of life, especially with the Italians, the, the, the Irish, you know. I nearly put some Americans in there, then I don't know. But, but yeah, no, it's, it's just because you could walk around town. The beauty of living in where I did at the back of the Daily Express, when I was a kid, this was my playground. Mm. And I remember in Lewis's, you'll remember on the top mm. floor, they, they had a toy thing there, a, a full floor of it. And they said, we'd go up there, you know what I mean? I'd be there with me, my patchwork pants and my talking shoes and what have you. And then the store detective would come on the escalator and just stand on your feet. This, <laughs> this big fat. Pig of a bloke, probably me now, had come and it'd be like seven or eight because I was quite, you know, we was quite feathered and I'd be there and you'd just stand on your feet, you know, and then you'd just go, but you'd be back in, in half an hour, you'd be back up there, you know what I mean? We'd go to like Tip Street where then Walter R. Smith had all the pets in the all window. The pets. And one week you'd have tortoises, the next week it'd be rabbits, the next minute it'd be dogs and what have you. You could spend hours just looking in there at them, you know, and there's a load of them and then just to walk them down Shirley and everything. Oh, it was, it was, as I say, it was quite Dickensian, you know, I loved it. There was so much to do, so rich though, wasn't it? I mean, oh, like incredible. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then just lastly, you referred to yourself as a, just a lad from Ancoats blagging it, which is obviously, I think it's very modest, but I just wondered what you'd say about the merits of blagging it until you find what really lights up your life and gives you the passion for anybody that's listening, so. Yeah, well, I would say there's a lot to it because, I know now I've got, you know, I've got a few mates that are directors, you know, and I know a couple of producers and what have you. And I know, because you, you go on the job when you first start, and, you know, when you see people going and doing bit parts, which I'm doing a lot nowadays because of various reasons, but it's harder. When you go into a long-running show, people get a rhythm and they get into it, and, you know, and they, they want, you know, they've got this sort of short arm between them and what have you. When you go in and do a bit, it's, it's hard, you know. But when you go into a show... Uh, even from the beginning, every, every show you go on, it's like starting school for the first time or starting a new job, which it literally is, but for, for like we do normally. But it's the same for producers and it's the same for directors. And, and absolutely, I've met some of them and they're absolutely quaking. You know, so, there's such a lot rest on their shoulders, a lot more pressure on them than there is on you. And they are basically blagging it, they're winging it. And I've spoke to producers and directors and I've said that to them. You know, they are, because you've got, and that is part of their talent, you know, because they're creative. So, you know, go out there and create. You've got to do it. But sometimes it's on a blank screen, you know. But the thing is, go out there, have a go at stuff. You'll be surprised what you're good at, you know what I mean? And if you're not, you'll find out and you think, well, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> but that is a lesson in itself, you know what I mean? So you know, I'm, I'm all for that. Get in there. And don't think you don't belong there. You do, you know. We're working class people. You know, I've had it when I used to go, uh, we had an access centre in Manchester. And, you know, a lot of the people that went there was, um, should we say, 
you know, well, they would say a different class, you know what I mean? And, and spoke, you know, spoke properly, not like me. Uh, and they did look down your nose at you, you know what I mean? And, you know, you have to get and say, you know what, you know, I'm entitled to be here as much as you are and what have you. And uh, I'm not bragging, but, you know, a lot of them people, I don't know where they are now, and they've not had it as much as I've had because I wouldn't go away, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I think, you know, get out there, have a go at it. I love it. And I'm glad you didn't go away. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've wanted to get in the podcast for, for a long time now. And thanks so much for helping us to build this city. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be part of it. John Henshaw built the city by playing football morning, noon and night in talking shoes, by riding the escalators in Debenhams as a feral kid from Ancoats, and by understanding the art of blagging and by never going away. On the next episode of We Built The City, you'll hear from entrepreneur Jenny Johnson, MBE, on how you fix a problem and become an industry leader in the process. Do you know what I really need for my life to work? I need really good childcare. And I had that inspiration on the back of my grand calling and me nearly missing a train to London because of it. And that episode will be available on the 16th of November. This podcast was produced by Purposeful Podcasts. If you want to build a community around your business or your brand, please do get in touch with our amazing team through our website, purposefulpodcast.com. If you'd like to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk. Or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or Twitter at RDPR Tweets. And we've also got a new Instagram page called We Built The City Pod. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 27 years on 0161 236 1122. And in the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built The City. Thank you. <laughs>